Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Forward Thinking. It's Chrissy and Charlie here. And today we have a exciting guest. Uh, We have the king of mops memes with us here today, (laughs) Jason Reichsledger. Um, And if I mean, if you're in mops and you've been on LinkedIn, it's very you know, safe to say that you maybe have seen one of Jason's memes. Um, They're so relatable and they kind of take some of the things that are so, um, you know, classic or just part of our world and and flip it on its head and and make it funny. So um, we thought it'd be great to have Jason on because one, we want to get to know the man behind the memes, but also um, go through some of his memes and kind of break them down. Because not only are they funny, but they they definitely hit on a lot of like core topics for MOPS. So um, with that, uh, Jason, welcome. And to kick it off, just let's, can you just tell our audience like a little bit about yourself and, you know, how you got to where you are today? Sure, definitely. And thank you for having me. Um, so I've actually been working in MOPS, well, we weren't calling it that uh, necessarily back in 2014. So um, mm-hmm. I'm obviously using Marketo now, but I actually started using Eloqua and we switched about a year and a half later to Marketo. So um, that's really where my MOPS journey began and it's been wonderful um, ever since. So um, I think you know, in this past year is really where the Mops memes has been born. And that's because, uh, you know, sharing them on LinkedIn and found out that a lot of people seem to um, resonate with the thoughts that roll around in my mind. So it's really been a lot of fun to be uh, creating those this year. Yeah. So where, did you create memes, non-Mops memes before Mops memes? Or did you just, did you see just this opportunity and just dive right into the meme culture? No, that's really funny. So actually I've been doing memes for like a long time. So I have this whole folder of formats and templates that I uh, can kind of pick from. Um, so I used to have just some Facebook pages, some like local um, Facebook pages that I had. So I've been creating memes probably since 2017. And I just, it's one of those things I never thought they would actually work on LinkedIn, but lo and behold, uh, they, they seem to they seem to really work. And I think, uh, especially when you see a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, it seems like the shorter uh, content seems to do quite a bit better. Something that you can look at and kind of digest in under five seconds, I think is best from, from what I can tell. Totally. Yeah. I still remember the first time I, I found out what a meme was. It was actually while <laughs> I was working at Marketo and in 20, uh, 2010. Yeah. And I think someone was like a meme and I was like, what's a meme? <laughs> and then we all just like, we're just laughing. And I was just like, wait, this is a thing. And, mm-hmm. and even then we're like, how can we put some memes in our, our marketing and we would just send each other um you know emails or when we do set up like op alerts or something yeah. like that we started to put them in it and and be fun with it so um i think you know now still holding strong and uh you know great content for linkedin as people scroll through i think for sure well and i just think it's funny how you know a singular a singular picture can be so relatable across industries and, and topics it's just so funny i mean leonardo dicaprio has a bunch of memes that you know with mm-hmm. his format so it's just funny how you can take these and, and make it apply to whatever business you're doing so it's a lot of fun yeah we were talking before i've, I've said this to you before but i feel like it is an art form because mm-hmm. yeah there's there's an image and you're having to really 
think through like what is this concept or yeah. what is this something relatable in mops and then apply that to to the image and then you know and then just trigger that instant reaction from someone like yeah I totally get it you know like and yeah. obviously I feel like if I tried you know people would be like what that doesn't make any sense like <laughs> but it sounds like you've been practicing this for a long time and just like you're able to just absolutely nail it yeah. um so like so before like when you first started in mops was that an in-house role you said when you were yep. working with Eloqua yeah so I was in uh in-house for I think five years so it's only been in the past year year and a half that mm -hmm. uh now on the agency side so yeah it's a, a big difference between the two um so you know and, and like anything they both have their pluses they both have their minuses so uh, it's nice to have that exposure though to um I feel like when I am consulting now, I can actually put myself in the seat of someone who worked in-house because you kind of understand where they're coming from much better. Totally. Oh, totally. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, having that empathy for people in-house, right? Because if you go straight into agency, you don't really, you think it's easier to get things done in-house than maybe it is, you know? Yeah. So like, but when yep. you're in-house, you realize, oh, there's politics and there's other people mm -hmm. we've got to like work things through. And then I'm, you know, I'm completely maxed out, like, and I don't have any time to retake really on anything else. So, yeah, I think it really is important for people in agencies to to understand the in-house experience. Yeah, one of the memes that we aren't sharing today, but is the one I mean, if you've ever seen it, where it's like a a little block that falls into like this big block, and the guy is setting it at the beginning, and and on that side, you're saying, I just need to run this by legal. And then the, the final block is a whole new marketing campaign. So I think that's <laughs> a lot where, you know, you put a lot of thought into these executions only to have it, uh, your dreams dashed at the last second. So uh, very relatable to, to the in-house people for sure. So then one of the other things that we've, we've talked about with you um, and, we, and we've been following from you is you, you ended up starting a discipline of writing every day or for being more consistent I know it's kind of been mm -hmm. up and down recently but like sure. you, you at one point you said you're just going to write every day on on kind of mops related topics and that's something you know, we've talked about we believe is it's important for mops people to try and kind of formulate their thoughts through content I'd love to learn a bit more about your experience sure and so uh, I've been keeping track of these um, these different content ideas. I actually started my blog back in 2012 and have hardly written on it. I think I only have just over 100 blog posts published in that uh, eight-year time. So if you do the math, that's not a, a whole lot of posts per year. But uh, starting at the end of August, I started publishing every day, and I went up to about uh, late or early to mid-October and kind of has trailed off in the past couple of weeks. But yeah, I basically had all these ideas. I put it in Airtable and um, I, I kind of, every time I get a thought, I just put it in there and I'll put some notes and then one day I'll just kind of be inspired and I'll all of a sudden I'll have this uh, stream of thoughts come through and lo and behold, I'll have a, a post at the end of it. So uh, the part that I find most beneficial is as you're writing and we, and we were talking about this, um, is it does it makes you think about it from different point of views and and if you can word things in a different way because sometimes in my first draft I'll read through and I'll be like well that's really not clear uh, so then you go through and you edit yourself which I really think is actually the fun part about writing is the editing and kind of moving around uh, different content pieces I find that um, you know to, to try to be able to to draw your ideas together so and actually my blog posts aren't always on MOP sometimes they're just on uh, careers and 
um, you know, just different topics. So I think I actually don't have it right offhand, but I think the, the tagline for my site is thoughts of a creator, marketer, and human, something along those lines, because uh, in the past, I did try to have my writing just be on one topic, and that just didn't work for me because I have too many different ideas. So um, not great from like a, a branding perspective, because it's kind of all over the place, but I think just from a daily growth perspective, it's really helpful. Yeah. I think also that I think it can help you in a, from a communication standpoint, like verbally too. I think once you're able to really get your thoughts down on paper and, and, and I think it's that mental exercise of just thinking through what are my thoughts on this? How do I consolidate them? Um, I, uh, since I was postpartum, I've actually every single day since January 3rd this year, I've been journaling every night and I'm very proud of that, (laughs) but I want to continue to do it. And I think that's helped me kind of think about things like really articulate them. Um, But then even when I'm interested in a conversation with Charlie or someone else, I can actually then, you know, deduce that down to what my thoughts are and really communicate them back. And it is something that once you get into a habit can help you and, you know, in your email writing, you know, writing, giving people directions on how to do something, Um, just constantly figuring out how to gather your thoughts, but then also edit yourself, like you said. Well, exactly. And and you just hit on something really important there is like, once you write it, then right, it gets like stuck in your memory bank. And, and you when you have a conversation, it's like all set to go because you already spent time writing mm-hmm. about it. So yeah, I think it's, I just think it's so wonderful. Uh, that's a great thing you've been doing. Um, very admirable. I wish, like I said, I'd love to get back into writing because I, I think it's therapeutic. What's your writing style? Do you, do you just write it out just kind of like a real like kind of quick and dirty um, V1 and then go back and edit? It sounded like maybe that might be it or do you kind of write parts and edit them as you go? Do you have a, a technique? Uh, I have I have like bullet lists, uh, bullet point lists of ideas and I kind of add content under it and then I'll take like whole sections and kind of move them around. So mm-hmm. kind of around the main idea points. And usually like my writing is um, it's like three paragraphs. It's not long. Um, in fact, someone that I really well two people that I really like obviously most people know Seth Godin and mm-hmm. I'm not sure how popular Derek Severs is but he's like one of my my favorites um where I mean his blog posts aren't more than three paragraphs most of the time shorter and I actually I really like that because I think uh one of the things in marketing overall is we have this idea that posts have to be a certain length and one of the mm-hmm. things that I really try to focus on is impact uh instead of length so um Again, usually it's three paragraphs, but it doesn't have to be. Um, so kind of a long-winded answer of, of how I structure my content. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you're doing it ev- every day, you can be very precise about what you're trying yeah. to explain and just get that that bit done. And then if yep. you have to expand on that, that can just be another post, right? And I think exactly. Seth Godin writes every day, right? Yep, yeah. Is and that where been, you got I mean, the idea from? Well, him and uh, Derek Severs, and, and Derek. they're actually close, not related in a uh, family sense, but closely related. Um, Seth Godin asked Derek Sivers to write his first book. So um, they're very mm. sim. I think I have a very similar mindset. Um, and Bernadette, and I think her last name is Jiwa, uh, G-J-I-W-A, uh, very similar to, again, another kind of Seth Godin disciple. Uh, and she writes on, on marketing. So those are like my three really people of inspiration. 
And yeah, to your point, I mean, we're digital here, so we can we can write a little bit and then expand on it in another post and, and link back and forth if we need to. So to me, I think it's really important to just get those bits out there. You can always uh, expand on it later. Do you have a, uh, what did you do at college? Did, do you have like a writing background or like an no. English, uh, nothing no, like that? No, not at all. Just, it's always been a hobby of mine. Even as a kid, I like I liked writing songs. So I've just like writing in in general it's always been a, a fun hobby so um yeah so if you if you go through my my blog post there's probably a lot of grammatical errors and that type of thing <laughs> and, and and incorrect word usage but uh actually it's funny though because one of my latest blog posts was just about seven perfect words uh for marketers to use because i just love words um you know words that we don't traditionally use so uh that was a really fun post to write because sometimes i'll just go through like dictionary.com or merriam-webster or whatever it is and just find new words that can be much more succinct and sometimes uh there's a perfect use for a word instead of something that might be used over and over again so for instance you know we use the word amazing a lot and it's kind of lost all meaning so so trying to find a word that might be a little bit more suitable that's amazing yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I use hard. that word I way too that, much. I know. I Everyone, I, so do I. <laughs> I think what, what I found the, myself writing word? like amazing twice in a paragraph the other day, and I was like, "Whoa, I need, yeah. I need more." Words. So, what is the word? What's the what's the replacement for amazing? Then, can you remember? I, I, I don't know if I did that one um, in particular. So, I just want to. Uh, it's funny because obviously I don't even remember the words I use, but um, <laughs> uh, so here's one where. Uh, uh, incul inculcate, which is um, to teach or impress by frequent repetitions or admon admonitions. I can't even speak, um, but it's you know it's saying um, that's something we do in marketing, right? We try to do this repetitive message to to really um, mm -hmm. burn that in someone's memory. So that would be a perfect word to use. Um, you know, we have um, promulgate, which is you know to make an idea known to many people by an open declaration. So again, uh, I just think there's these words that I should be using more so I can recall them more easily than having to look them up, but I just, I'm fascinated yeah. by words. So um, that's another great point of writing. In fact, sometimes even as a uh, creativity exercise, I'll do that where I'll, I'll find a word that I've never used before or use very little and try to work that into my writing. And, and from that, um, you can spark a whole bunch of new ideas. So. Yeah. So have you found that, because obviously MOPS is a technical role, have you found that it just brings balance to just your brain and your just ability to kind of just flex that other muscle that maybe, I know you're using creativity it, within the technical much. side, but it's kind of a different type of creativity. Kind of like the art and science balance, right? Where, yeah, you're one, in one, there's a very definite right way and wrong way to do something. I mean, there might be multiple right ways to do it, but uh either a campaign is going to execute or it's not based on whatever filters you put in place where writing is a little bit more uh, open-minded. So mm -hmm. yeah, it is, a, it is a really nice balance and uh, something that we just talked about, but I think writing also makes you simplify things because I think in MOPS, you can make things really complicated too. And writing is a great way to filter that back down to make it uh, really relatable. Yeah, one of the things actually I found when, um, and I, I can kind of apply all of the stuff we've talked about to any form of content, right? It could be speaking on a podcast it could be you know say verbal or written or anything um is that so so much in in marketing operations especially when you're like you work on the agency side like all of us um 
it's all the answer is like always it depends like all right? of us yeah yeah like not, <laughs> all, all the listeners obviously but the answer is always it depends because there it always does depend right like it always depends on multiple factors on what the yep. what the answer should be and like it, it sometimes often like seems too simplistic to just be like this is the right way to do yep. it but i found that it's forced me to take some position somewhere where maybe in the past I I was always it depends because mm -hmm. as I was writing about it or as I was like really thinking about it I would always kind of run it through the mental test of like if this was my like if it was me like if I was running the company that I'm consulting for like what would I do in that situation or like what would I do in general so it's forced me to really think through where 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 do I actually have like this is the right way to do it. And mm -hmm. yes, of course, it always does depend, but mm -hmm. I'm going to try and push, you know, our clients towards this. 100%. Um, yeah, so that's been kind of an interesting side of, of our content that I found. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that you said about grammatical errors and everything like that, and it reminds me and Charlie have been going back and forth on this because I, I was always very into writing. I did a minor in English in college and I studied business and um, I'm like a grammar kind of, I've always been like a stickler for grammar and everything. And, and I'm the opposite. And Charlie's the opposite. <laughs> and we've had I to- break all the rules, not, <laughs> not on purpose, by accident. <laughs> yeah, but with, now with the rise of conversational marketing, like I've had to really sometimes sacrifice what I think is perfect grammar to something that is, or, or, you know, using big words or very like, you know, descriptive language and really just trim it down to something that people want to read yeah. and can easily read. And, um, and so that's been a learning experience for me, but it's like finding that middle ground. Cause they do think yeah. to your point, like being really eloquent and, and, you know, concise and using the right words is super important. Um, but also, creating content that, you know, people can easily read because they're, yeah. everyone's so trained to like, you know, read their friends posts on LinkedIn or, or yeah. Instagram or Facebook and, and no one's winning Pulitzer prizes for like yeah. that, you know, so you need to adjust. And we're always kind of reminding our clients about that as they're creating their content. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things too is, I said this kind of at the beginning, but like on LinkedIn, I've tried like putting out really thoughtful, uh, deep content and it just doesn't work for me, at least on, on that platform. And I think your point is uh, you need to be much more concise and, and have them be able to understand it in a very quick amount of time. So yeah, it's, it's probably changed writing for quite a few people. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure your posts on your site <laughs> are different than the posts that you're posting right. on LinkedIn, right? You have a bit yep. more, you can maybe LinkedIn, you kind of have to fall in line a bit to to what people are expecting. Whereas on your own site, you, you've got completely you complete yep. creative freedom. So yep. speaking of LinkedIn, actually, should we dive into the the memes? Yeah, hashtag Bob's memes. If anyone wants to look at all of them after this episode, and um, please add if you have your own memes, please add uh, post them on LinkedIn using that hashtag, so they'll all be uh, right there. Oh, there you and, go. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be the only one posting on there. So, um. yeah. And so if, if, if you're not following Jason, you should, and you should also follow Mops memes. And you're also very gracious. Whenever I've asked you, can I borrow this or steal this meme for something? You're, you're just like, take it, you know, yeah. it's, oh. you're just providing this to the community and it's great. I, I used this one actually in our, 
Opstars workshop yeah. last week and people got a kick out of it. Yeah. So I'm like just a fan of the MOPS community and I think you probably are as well. So yeah, anything I can do to make their presentations a little bit more enjoyable or their day more enjoyable. I just, it's one of those things it's, it's funny because like you do, you become just a fan of the different people and it's funny how different you'll see these people's name picked, uh, you know, um, stick up somewhere and you're like, oh, I know that person from LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. And I think the, the, the important side of this is that yes they're funny yes they're creative and interesting but also they're like they're important too like this one yeah. so if, if you're not um watching the video i recommend you watch the video but <laughs> if you're just listening this might be a little bit weird for you but jason can you just explain kind of this, this meme you um what sure. so some people could kind of visualize it in their mind but then also i feel like this is an important one that maybe a, a MOPS person could share with their boss, right? If they need to get <laughs> yeah. headcount. So let, let's just dive into it. Yeah. So, uh, and for anyone who is just listening, there's this truck pulling a three axle uh, trailer. So a very huge trailer. And on top of it is one of those cozy coops that a kid would have like for a two year old or something like <laughs> that. And it's, and it's chained down. So, and uh, on, on the trailer is the word MarTech stack. And then over the cozy coop is the size of the team to operate it. So, um, you know, I think we fall in love with uh, technology and different pieces that can help us do marketing better. But then also uh, we kind of expect the same people to just uh, learn every little piece of it. And it's, it's always a lot to learn, um, especially uh, when there's native integration. Sometimes those integrations still aren't all that user-friendly. Sometimes you need to use some middleware to be able to integrate them. And um, one of the I think the misnomers that happens because it's called marketing automation and the word automation gets thrown around a lot. It seems like uh, just connect it and it's all set to go, but actually you <laughs> need people to understand how to use it. And more importantly, uh, be able to fix it if something's not working, because yeah, if you set it up and it's running automatically, that's great, but that's really the case. Normally you need someone who knows how to troubleshoot and, and identify what's, what the issue is. And uh, I think, uh, I forget who posted, but was talking about all the different hats that MOPS people wear. We're supposed to be uh, not only no marketing automation, but also be um, data scientists and, you know, content writers and, and a whole bunch of different things. So um, I think a lot of businesses, you know, they, they fall in love with the tech, but not so much the fact that they actually need people to run it. Totally. And I mean, we, at our, at our workshop last week, I think about 80 percent it seemed like we're, we're kind of mops teams of one or like really small yep. mops teams so you have everything you just talked about there with this ever-expanding tech stack ever-expanding um uh the breadth of skills that you need to not just manage the stack but manage the whole marketing operations function but then you're just like one person and yep. and you're yep. just you you can't it's, you struggle to do anything strategic because you're just battling fires all day trying to get campaigns out the door Yep. And um and the and your boss is probably like a demand gen director, you know. So it's like they don't yep. they didn't come from MOPS, they don't understand it. So yeah, I think this we the we used this one um on the try and get more headcount section of the workshop because I think it's so important for for anyone in marketing operations to try and be at least communi communicating to their boss or their boss's boss or whoever's gonna help potentially um increase headcount of what everything that they're managing and everything that you just talked about, Jason, and then kind of their limited 
amount of human beings managing that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Or one of the things that we talked about too, is just how to build a tech stack that works for you and also like doesn't work against you. And we had a, we have a worksheet that we shared of just kind of doing analysis um, even before you even decide to um, purchase and even, you know, giving that to people on your team, because a lot of the time, some of these tools are just dumped on mark the marketing yeah. ops team's laps. Like, Hey, we have this new event tool, go do this. Oh, we have this new other tool. Okay. Go do this. And, um, marketing ops isn't even involved. So stepping ahead of that, um, to really try and, you know, make sense of, cause sometimes you find a client has like three ABM tools. It's like, why do we need three, three ABM <laughs> <Yeah>. tools? <laughs> or like multiple yeah. event, like online event. Yeah. Uh, and so trying to step ahead of that and, and letting yeah. mops get more control, but then having a framework for if they can't be part of all of it, like what some of the things that you need to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, and Scott Brinker's graphic that he does every year is really terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, th there needs to be some consolidation because, yeah, I'm sure that many teams have tools that are overlapping in capabilities. Like you just said, uh, how many different tools do you need for ABM? Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, it, it hurts me because I, I like, I love it. That's probably actually my favorite part of the job is like integrating different pieces, but it's also, um, sometimes I don't think it's necessary. And, and to your point, it should be much more thought out on what you're actually adding. Yeah. Yeah. And to what, what you, your point before around people hear the word automation and they just <laughs> think it's just like, it's just going to work by itself. It literally couldn't be the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It couldn't be any more. Yep. Different than that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Should we dive onto that one? Yeah. All right. All right. Do you want to try and explain this one? <laughs> sure. So, uh, and this one's pretty simple. So there's a guy drinking a glass of water and there's another guy standing over him with a pitcher of water, pouring water in to his glass as he drinks. So, um, and I know, you know, you've had a few uh, podcast episodes about this recently where um, you know being overwhelmed with the type of work that comes in and I think sometimes when we work in mops and, and this is almost going back to the last point is uh, it's automated how come how come it takes more than a day to have a campaign up and running I thought you were just automating this so I feel like uh, and sorry the text is of the person pouring the water into the glass uh, request from marketing and then the person drinking it is mops so um, again sometimes I think maybe we, we make what we sound uh, that we do sound a little too easy. And that's why you get all these requests and they expect a very quick turnaround because you're supposed to be able to push a magic button and, and have it done. So, uh, and what I get from, you know, just hearing other people talking about them being burned out, I thought this was very relatable and, uh, you know, a lot of people agreed uh, when it was posted, so. Do you have any thoughts on how MOPS can kind of combat that that perception that it's automation and and it should just run and it's easy i mean i don't even know how much we should even try to sell it i just think it's really important to have um slas in place for for how long something can be turned around and it, i don't think anyone would ever do this but i feel like you should give like each department like two or three or whatever the number is um emergencies that they can use throughout a year um, because <laughs> emergencies do come up so give them a set amount and then they have to kind of plan that throughout the year again i don't think anyone would ever implement that but that kind of I stops like that, you though. because you know obviously emergencies do come up where okay you know we weren't planning for this but we have to get out the door you can 
um, adjust resources. But it's one of those things, if you do that once, you start to be able to, they start to think you can do that all the time. So I think it's really important just to have those SLAs in place and, and then be able to stick by them too, to uh, really question how important something is, because I think everyone, if they own it, um, to them, it's important but then to, to be able to figure that out in the global scheme of, of what you're trying to accomplish too and, and have the courage to, to push back on that and let them know that you know they weren't in with the SLA and you'll get it done as soon as you can, but um, just really sticking to that. Totally, yeah, learning to say no, learning yep. how to say no. Yep, and, yeah, which... and to make them uh, convince you of the importance, like don't just uh, take their word for it, like let them know uh, if this campaign doesn't launch by tomorrow, what's the, you know, what's what's the consequences of that? So, um, because sometimes if they have a hard time saying what those consequences are, then maybe it's not as important as they initially thought it was. Yeah. What do you think about this? Because I've always thought the people who gravitate to mops, we we like we're kind of a bit of a people pleaser type, <laughs> um, like person. So that's why we end up in these sticky situations because we always want to exceed expectations and then the expectations become just like too hard to even, you know, yeah. manage. And like, do you, do, you, do you agree with that? Or do you think it's just the role that kind of ends up pushing us in that direction? It's making it hard to say no. What do you think it's a bit of both? Well, no, so, and I think we, I think you actually hit it on the head there that we are people pleasers. And I think sometimes we also fall into the automation trap, right? Because if you ask me how long something's going to take to build, if I don't actually go through and plan it all out, if you're saying, how long before we can get this nurture up and running, you know, uh, let's say it's a, a three stream, nine email nurture, so three emails per stream. Well, if you have the content, I can create, I can clone the emails pretty quickly and update it via tokens. Shouldn't take more than two hours. And then you get in and it's like, well, actually this took 10 hours because I wasn't mm -hmm. planning on A, B, and C. So I think that's part yeah. of it too. Is sometimes we think our own jobs are too easy. And especially with like being able to tokenize different pieces of content and clone, it it, it goes faster in our head. So that's why like we have a, you know, a process to kind of pause, think things out, write it out. Because um, sometimes just taking the, that time to pause is going to save you a lot of time on the back end. So I think I think that's part of it too. Is sometimes we fall into our own automation trap. That's yeah, a really good point. And we talk about that a lot because I think I I, I know the time that I learned it um, in my career. But being able to set expectations because yeah. it's even I think sometimes we're like, oh, we want to tell them it's going to take you know not very much time, so that they're very impressed by like how fast yeah. we can do it. But really the better you know better thing is give yourself some buffer enough buffer so that you can actually deliver early which means yeah. that they're even more impressed that you got it delivered to them earlier than what you said because being late is always the thing yeah. where maybe you let someone down because they're planning things based on that so exactly. um, that's what we try and focus on is like don't try and just impress with how like an undersell you know yourself so yep um, just really give yourself enough time and buffer to to um, deliver earlier. Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point because it is very much that way, right? You want to be like, oh well, it shouldn't take that long because you want them to to be happy. But I think it's like you're really you're really hurting yourself because again, in future um, requests, they're going to think the same thing. So to your point, it'd be exactly. better just to say, uh, actually, this takes a lot longer, and maybe they'll they'll respect what you do a little bit more, understanding that it's not such a quick turnaround. So I think that's mm -hmm. very wise. But yeah, it's a tough thing to do, because I think we are people pleasers, and uh, we think we can get things up and running pretty quick. So yeah, and we, and we want to, I see a lot of 
most people they kind of want to be I don't, I don't mean it's in a bad way but kind of want to be the hero right yeah. someone comes in we need to get this out okay i'm gonna you know work all night and get this done and yeah. there's a time and a place for that at different times in your career to kind of just like overextend yourself but it's not a sustainable way to be yeah. um and so you, yeah making yeah. sure you, you, even if you can exceed the sla you know just try sticking to it but once in a while <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and it doesn't yeah. always pre- oh go ahead no go ahead I would say, and and I think when you are in that mentality, you think, oh, the harder I work, the more I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to get promoted and stuff like that. And it's actually proven that it's not really so much about your hard work. Part of that is that, but really it's people seeing the value of you. So if you're just stuck doing all these things, people are just going to see you as still kind of that market automation admin, just doing email, stuck in the weeds. But really that's why we're trying to push all mops to like get ahead of that, like really save time for your strategy, really selling your value because that's actually what's proven to help propel your career and get you elevated and get a promotion. Yeah, and and, uh, there's a book that I love that's called Who Gets Promoted and Why? And it's basically Mm -hmm. saying the same thing that um, a promotion isn't a reward for your past work, it's a bet on your future. Um, Mm -hmm. So to your point, um, it really doesn't matter if you did all these things well if you aren't showing that growth capability right mm-hmm. because uh, and the other piece is is uh don't become um is it, ir- ir- don't become irreplaceable because yeah if you're so good at your job that they can't replace you you can't move up because then they have to find someone to take your job that you're currently doing so you can't go to a new job so um i really like that because yeah you need to you need to be able to kind of show how you can fit into the next role that you want to grow into those two quotes are really good what, what was the book called again just so people uh, can find it it's uh who gets i believe it's who gets promoted and why okay yeah no that was a really really good point um cool should we move on to the, the next one yeah all right this one one of the That's first cool. ones so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so was this one of your first first memes then was it uh, I don't know if it was uh, so three months ago. So that would have been what that would have been July. So I guess I was already fairly into because I think I started in January or February. So I guess it wasn't that. Seems like a while ago when you're when you're making these every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I guess this was in July-ish somewhere in there. So uh, it's the Flex Seal guy, and hopefully uh, you know what he looks like. Um, but it's where he takes the Flex Seal tape. There's a big jug of water, not a jug of water, but like a container of water that's leaking. And he just takes the flex seal tape and puts it over the, the hole and, you know, problem sealed. So the, the premise of this meme is, you know, this is something that's super simple, um, even though it's actually not a very good fix uh, if you have <laughs> a hole um, that's leaking water. Um, it may work in the commercial, but it's also not this easy and probably doesn't work that long. So uh, <laughs> the, the writing over the guy with the, the flex seal guy is marketers the leaking water is not enough NQLs. And then when he's slamming his hand to, f- to um, fill the hole, it says lower qualification threshold. So uh, this is something, and I'm sure anyone who's worked in knots has probably seen this at one time or the other, unless you may be just getting started. But um, there's, this, there's this problem of not enough um, leads are getting through to the sales team. And then you realize, well, it's because our, our the um, criteria to become an MQL is too high. So we're just going to lower that. Instead of having a score of 100, we're just going to knock it down to 70, which um, isn't very useful. I mean, you aren't, you may get more leads, but I'm guessing that your conversion 
uh, rate isn't going to go up. And it's just kind of funny because it's like instead of either finding A, finding better leads or B, doing a better job at marketing the leads you have, um, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. But you see it all the time where it, it becomes a number game and you want to be able to say that, well, we push this amount of leads. Um, why isn't sales closing them? And it's just kind of a funny solution. Yeah. yeah. I was just talking about something similar to this yesterday because I, in one of my past roles, we had a new like head of marketing who just took over SDR and he was like, we need more MQL. So he somehow convinced that we just didn't have, we just didn't use lead scoring anymore. And they just turned it off. Like I was like, even beyond like outside of my mops team. And so the next day we were just like, what do we do? Like our whole world was turned upside down because they just made that quick change. And even then, like the, you don't think about the other impact as well on like the marketer side or campaign members are like, well, we kind of use this metric to get it early, mm -hmm. like sent, you know, metric on how well our campaigns are doing for bringing just people through the door. And so then my whole team had to scramble for a week to try and uh, now come up with this new metric of what's a target and not a target. So then we're at least able to see, you know, upfront, like, are we bringing in the right people? And yeah. it was just like caused so much havoc. And then of course, you know, that lasted a few weeks, maybe even a month. Cause, and then we were back to putting in our scoring model again. So um, to your point, it's, it may seem like a good solution at first, but it's not sustainable and doesn't scale. And, yeah. and that's like the, the two things that I think for any mops person, when they're about to do something like, can this scale, is this just also a symptom of just a bigger problem? Like you said, sure. and, um, having that conversation with the whole marketing team, um, to figure out what the plan should be instead of just this quick fix. <laughs> So what's your opinion on M MQLs? I feel like it's a bit, a bit of a dirty word these days. Yeah, so, um, well, and in fact, I have some, one of the things that I question too is the majority of like lead scoring because I think a lot of it is uh, just very arbitrary, right? Like sometimes yeah. it's, you know, you if you're tracking every web page or every email open and trying to, you know, we make an inference that, uh, every email open is valuable and that, oh, they're really, they really love our content, right? But I say it all the time where sometimes I'll open an email uh, just to clear from my push notification. So to mm -hmm. me, um, I may look really uh, qualified in someone's database, even though I might not actually even know who they are aside from the fact that I have to clear their email notifications all the time. So, <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think lead scoring has its place, but I think, um, you know, we try to we try to assign values to everything. And I think that's just where it gets very tricky. And we should be able to identify really the more important criteria and the really high value um, types of activities that really move someone along instead of trying to have it be this sum of all uh, disparate um, activities. Yeah, yeah, so would you be more of an advocate for only MQLing something like a demo request or a contact us and everything else can, yeah, you can have a score and prioritize them, but they're not going to be, you know, handed over to sales at that point. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it would kind of depend on the company, but I think, right. you know, sales people, uh, their time is valuable and they shouldn't be spending time just on every lead that comes through. So, you know, going to the, this image here, right? That you can send them a lot of leads, but wouldn't you rather just have them be uh, with people that are really interested? Cause that should be marketing's job is to find these people. And if they aren't interested to educate them 
to how this can benefit them to the point that they want to reach out. So I would lean more towards that way, right? The either mm -hmm. a contact us or a demo request, something along those lines. Um, like I said, I without knowing everyone's situation, maybe some people are really successful with being able to score individual activities. But I think, um, especially just the way I think we do business nowadays, we're, we're very much self-qualifying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if the sales team still wants to have people that are doing cold calling, you know, I think that's actually great. It's not something I would ever uh, succeed at, but there's some people that are very good, then they can do that. But otherwise, I feel like this is what we're doing now is just a glorified form of cold calling because we're saying these people are qualified when they really haven't shown um, any indication that they actually are aside from they're, they're doing activities we can track. Totally. And then, yeah. and then sales get... Sales gets pissed off because they're like, look at, look at all these, you're calling them marketing qualified yeah. and like yeah. I'm converting like 1% of these. Yeah, well, and I didn't actually thought about this until now, but it kind of goes back to the people pleaser, right? We want to tell sales, like, look at all these leads we're, we're right. generating, mm -hmm. where wouldn't it just be better to say, spend your time with these, these, we have a high probability of closing. So I actually hadn't thought of that till now, but it might go back to the, the people uh, pleaser yeah. type of mindset. Yeah, I'm sure a lot, a lot goes back to that, right? Yeah. Wanting to look good, wanting to make people happy, and yeah. then all of the symptoms yeah. kind of come out of that. Yeah, and I think some. Yeah, I think sometimes also too dashboards uh, for some people are just looking at volume when they really should just be kind of focused more on conversion rates and mm -hmm. like the pipeline revenue. So when people are just looking at a number going up, 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 you get kind of like trained and addicted to doing that. And so, um, what gets measured gets, gets managed. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, but really, like you said, if you wanted your conversion rate go up, you'd be focused more on mm -hmm. maybe generating fewer MQLs, um, and really just sending over the ones that are more qualified. And, and the crazy thing too, is what you see a lot is people are like, rely so much on their sales development team to do yeah. like qualification, but really they're like trying to nurture someone, but most of um, like SDRs are not even in position where they can really, really fully nurture people. And then, and then the marketing team kind of abandons their nurture program or mm -hmm. what they put into the nurture and just focus on just doing yeah. these email blast campaigns that they think are going to generate MQLs. Yeah. I like that warp of like, is just going to cause and they problems. they pass it over to sales and sales just adds, you know, thousands of people yeah. into their outreach or sales loft and starts mm -hmm. kind of just like, because they can't keep up with how many and they know that they're not going to convert. So they end up just unpersonalized, yeah. just kind of spamming them. Yeah. And so I think if we, as marketers or, you know, even mops, I think you can stand up to like the marketing team and be like, I'm seeing this issue here. Maybe we yeah. should focus more on doing this. And I think sometimes most people don't feel like they have the right or like the, they don't have the position to do that. But really sometimes campaign managers or people who are in those roles are just looking for guidance. And we're seeing, we're like the people on the ground, right? Like we're seeing everything that's going on. We're looking at the data. And so we're best suited to make, you know, to give those, um, mm -hmm. give that feedback and, um, and, you know, just reminding them of, uh, of those things, because I think people can be tied to a number and just feel like yep. they turn into these like bad habits to get there. Um, and, and so mops like really feel like you can maybe make those, um, uh, you know, the recommendations to your team don't feel like you, yep. you don't have yep. a voice to do that. Yeah. And I think too, um, you know, we, 
we work in something that changes pretty quickly. And a lot of people that might be on a marketing team are using some legacy best practices too. And, and they might totally. be really tied to them. So to your point, yeah, we need to do a much better job of educating and saying, well, here's what's really important. And here's the uh, implications of, of, you know, changing and that type of thing. So, yep. Yeah. 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 We can't forget we're in a lot. I mean, obviously with the whole rise of revenue ops and everything, it might be a different story, but if we're marketing ops, we're still, we still got to wear a marketing hat and be mm -hmm. a, be have ownership over what what's going on in marketing. We can't just be you're in the tools all day, not caring about really what's happening from a marketing point of view mm -hmm. or like the customer experience. Or kind of what we talk about a lot too is like a business mindset. So really, if you're just not so focused on like tech and how it works and just like that, really thinking about the whole business because that's yeah. going to be what keeps your job. You know, it's going to mm -hmm. be what keeps that business going. And so focusing there and 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 I think knowing all parts of marketing or knowing how marketing works and flexing that creative part yeah. of your mind that you that use you know so much have been doing so far is is an important thing to do yeah and going back to the people pleaser one more time is right if if we get a request that says can you do this the normal answer is yes because we can do almost anything so the better answer is uh or the better question is should we do this um yeah. because right almost anything is doable but should you be doing it I think that's a perfect way to to end this and wrap this up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was, it was awesome to have you on, Jason. And for um, everyone who's listening, where can they find you or, you know, where where should they look to see some of your memes? Sure. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Jason, uh, last name is R-A-I-S-L-E-G-E-R. -E um, and then you can always go to mopsmemes.com. I usually, uh, I post them on LinkedIn first and then about every month I'll put what I posted the last month on LinkedIn onto my website. So go to mopsmemes.com. Feel free to use anytime you want. Um, don't even need to give credit. I mean, I always appreciate it, but my main goal is that people are using these memes, so. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your contribution to the Mops community. I'm gonna continue using your memes and awesome. look forward to seeing more. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see everyone on the next episode of Forward Thinking. Have a good one. This is Charlie. So if you liked what you heard, hit like on the platform where you watch this. Also, leave a review. Honestly, we would really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe where you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter which is packed full of exclusive content, updates for events or courses that we might be doing, all designed to elevate your marketing operations and B2B strategy. See you next time on Forward and Forward It Up.